welcome to another episode of Talks with Tasha podcast. If you are able to, please feel free to give me a rating or a review on whatever platform it is that you happen to be listening to me. You can head on over to www.talkswithtashapodcast and submit your email address and you can stay connected to any and all things that are happening with Talks with Tasha podcast. You can also connect on social media, Facebook, Talks with Tasha podcast, Instagram at Talks with Tasha podcast, or on Twitter, Tasha Talks. Hope you enjoy the episode. Today, we have a very, very, very special guest uh, who happens to be a friend of mine, a very close friend of mine, but she is involved in something that I feel like is very important to the Black community right now. And I wanted to have a little talk with my friend, Madeline Jones, about not just what led her to this journey of politics, but also what what are the plans and how does she feel like other people can see that it's possible and that it's not just these people who are born into politics. So first and foremost, welcome, Maddie. Thank you so much. Do you want me to call you Maddie or Madeline? I'm not sure because, you know. I mean, you know, one person, different chapters of life. So (laughs) (laughs) it's all good. I have not. So I, I mean, just starting with what's in the name, right? So I've been Madeline since Virginia pretty much since Virginia. And before that, everybody called me Maddie, but then in certain spaces like church (laughs) or different places where I'm more familiar, you know, is Maddie. So yeah, whatever. However, I I know you. Now, if you were a stranger on the street, that'd be different. I'd be like, hold up. (laughs) Well, so for the purpose of this interview, because I'm adoring this conversation, you are still my friend. So I'm still going to be referring to you as Maddie. Those of y'all who uh, happen to catch her in the streets, you all know her like that, so you can go ahead and call her Madeline. <laughs> yeah, but thank you so much. Uh, so, of course, I know who you are, but I want you to give the listeners a, a quick rundown, you know, uh, an elevator conversation about who Madeline is and where she comes from. Like, how, how do we get to this to this space right here, right now? Sure. Thank you. So I am Madeline Jones. I am a wife and a mom. I am from New Orleans, Louisiana, and I moved to uh, Norcross, Georgia, my freshman year of high school. Um, I graduated from Norcross High School, which is in uh, Northern Gwinnett County, which is north of Atlanta. And um, I graduated from Norcross. I went to college at Georgia State. And after I graduated college, I went back to my high school, Norcross, to teach social studies. And my first semester of teaching, as a matter of fact, it would have been around this time, um, Hurricane Katrina happened. And so I was devastated like everyone else, even though my family was safe and they were here in Atlanta with us. um, You know, I remember watching on the news every day that week that I was teaching that the people were still on the roofs of the houses. They were still at the Superdome, like waiting for help. And it was like, the first day, the second day, the third day, the fourth. So by the weekend, after a whole week of teaching and the people were still in the same spot, I knew there was a real problem at our hands and I knew there was a real disconnect. And so it was then that I knew um, not only did we see government fail on all levels from top to bottom, federal to local, but it was a lack of compassion. I mean, it's it's just a sheer lack of compassion to have people in that kind of situation for days and days and days and days, knowing that we can get all the way around the world in a day, but we can't get to New Orleans in six days, you know? So I was, I was, I was very uh, 
moved by that experience and it shaped and impacted my teaching. But then my third year of teaching, the summer after my third year, I had the Senator Obama was running for president and I had the opportunity that summer to become a fellow here in Georgia. I did the fellowship for the whole summer and the week before school was supposed to start around this time, um, they asked me to go work full time in North Carolina on the campaign because they were moving resources to North Carolina. So I said yes, and I went and we won. For the first time, we flipped that state on a presidential level from red to blue for the first time in over 35 years. And it changed my life because I actually saw something happen that I never thought I might see in my lifetime. And so to actually be a part of making history, but not knowing if we were actually gonna be able to do it. I mean, it was just really powerful. So much so that I left my teaching job. <laughs> I was like, I can't go back to the class. I was like, we we was teaching history. We just made history. We just made it. We out of here. So that brought me to Virginia. My husband and I packed up and moved to Virginia without jobs, just knowing one person, his best friend who was in the military. And um, within a, his job, it worked. I mean, God worked it out because within a week, his job needed a transfer up there. So it was perfect. Then I packed up the house and moved and not shortly after I was working there. And so um, we were in Virginia for eight years, um, pretty much the whole administration, the whole presidential administration. And I worked for my church. I worked for DC public schools. We had two babies. And after the second baby, we moved to Ohio for a year and a half. And uh, the reality of going from one to two is what brought us back to Georgia uh, three years ago. <laughs> because one is an accessory. Okay, two is a job. And so <laughs> one, you can just kind of pack up and go and it's, we good. You know, you're just rolling with your baby. When you have two, it's a job. And so that's what brought us back to Georgia three years ago. And that's what set me on the path to really thinking about how I could run for office because I, it's always something that's been in my heart to do. But I didn't have the supports that I needed in order to successfully do it until now, mm -hmm. until coming back home where my family is uh, and where I have just more more family support as a mom. So yeah, in a roundabout way, that's how I got to this place. Like I said, we've been back for three years and I'm excited to be here with you today. Natasha is my church buddy. I don't know if you, a lot of y'all might not know her that way, but we used to sing <laughs> on the worship team together. Yes, yeah, <laughs> so I was- on the <laughs> so I was going to give the other side of that story. And the other side of the story is that, of course, I'm living in Virginia. And so when, when I met you, I met you at church because, yes, I was singing on the worship team. For those of you who do not know me that way. Yes, I was very involved in church <laughs> uh, to the point where people thought I was on staff. That was when I met Maddie. And at the time, it was just her and her husband. But the one thing that was evident from the minute I met Maddie, Maddie was very engaged in politics and she was engaged in politics in a way that was totally different from what I was used to when it comes to black people talking about politics. It's just, I'm, I'm voting for a Democrat. That is it. I've already expressed how I have issues with the, you know, um, two-party system. However, this is what we're dealing with right now, right? But, you know, having my friendship with you and having those conversations, Maddie just had this whole different passion about politics. So fast forward through all of the other stuff that happened since you and I met, I saw Maddie put out an email and let us all know, oh, hey guys, by the way, 
I'm actually going to be running for office. And when I tell y'all, I hollered and screamed and ran around my house here in Virginia. Now, mind you, I can't even vote for her. I can't really go out and campaign for her or anything like that. But I was so excited because, you know, just like Maddie was able to sit back and watch history be made on a grand scale of watching a black man get put into office. I sat back and I watched a hope and a dream come to fruition because this is something that Maddie had talked about, you know, just in our random conversations on the sidelines about wanting to be in politics and wanting to be more active and wanting to run for our office. And now hold up, wait a minute, I'm actually getting an email that my girl is like actually running for an office. She's actually doing this. So when I got that email, I was like, look, Maddie, I know I am not in Georgia with you, but what whatever it is that I can do to support you, then I'm I'm on board. I'm all for it. Oh, and let me go ahead and add to it. So round two for President Obama, I have my three babies, but my two daughters, I have one who is very vocal. She is almost, a, a, you know, people consider her to be, you know, Atasha Jr., but she was obsessed with President Obama. So when she found out that Maddie was going to be going out and doing door-to-door campaigning for him, of course, my daughter's like, Mama, can I go? Can I go? <laughs> and it was cold. It was a dreary day, but she did not care. And this girl was on cloud nine because she got to go out there. And of course, you know, she she was a part of history being made round two. You know, it was something, something not was, but it is something that she's going to hold on to for probably the rest of her life. You know, remembering that moment. And I think what I appreciated about it was, yes, she was out there doing something for someone else. But I think it also gave her a different perspective of what politics looked like, you know, and not just showing up to voting polls on one day. And that's how it happens. You know, that there's work that has to be done. There's a process that has to be done. But what made you say now is it? You know, like you all you had that passion, obviously, since Katrina. You know, you knew something needed to be changed. And then, you know, you got a little bit more fire in you whenever it came to getting President Obama elected and then being in the Washington metro area. You were exposed to it a little bit more. But what finally said what finally pushed you overboard and said, I'm doing it? That's an awesome question. So um, last year. I'm like, wait a minute, you know, okay, with this coronavirus, I feel like my days are just, it's like one big long summer day. So I'm like, okay, wait, it's 2020. So that was 2019. Okay, last year. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So we had been back in Georgia for about a year and a half at that point. And I was really on the fence because I, I, okay, so let me say this. I've always, we've owned property here the whole time we were gone. So I've I've been a landlord the whole time we were gone. And so I've always been, connected to what's happening here because my family, my immediate family lives here and we're landowners, I mean, property owners here. So, but I had only been back for a year and a half. So I haven't been back very long. And so I'm like, okay, but I knew it was in me to do it. So there is a a group, an organization called the Collective PAC. Collective PAC is a political action committee that their whole purpose exists to increase black political presence through elected officials and through, and just politics in general. And so they hosted in South Carolina a training program called the Black Campaign School. It's it's hashtag Black Camp. So Black Camp. (laughs) And when I I said to myself that day, I asked God, I said, please, I need to leave here 
knowing one way or the other. I, I believe that I, I came here seeking and thinking that I would get all the information I need to make a decision. That was my whole purpose in going. I'm going to go to this last training because I've been to a bunch of trainings. I was like, I'm going to go to this last training with our people and I'm going to leave here clear. When our first speaker stood up, her face looked very familiar, but I didn't know why. And then she introduced herself and she said, my name is Jessica Bird and everything you need to be successful in politics is in this room. And I said, oh my God, five years before that, I went to a vision boarding party that I was invited to by one of our church friends. And in that vision boarding party, I pulled an article from Essence Magazine that the title was Jessica Wants You to Run. And it was all about how Jessica Bird wanted Black women, more Black women to run for office. I pulled that article and that picture from my, and put it on my vision board five years ago. So I had no idea she was the guest teacher because she's not a, on staff of collective. She was a guest teacher for the weekend. I knew then that like there was no not doing it because I'm like, my vision board is literally standing in front of me telling me that I have everything that I need to do this. <laughs> if that's not answering your, answering your questions, answering your prayers, like, She's literally yeah. right here. Like you. That was you. the moment. <laughs> opened, she opened, she literally said, my name is Jessica Bird and everything you need to be successful in politics is in this room. And I just knew then I knew it. And so I say, so that was literally the moment where I was like, okay, I'm doing it. And I didn't, see, I left that training. Only 2% of the population, the whole population ever runs for office. So 98% of citizens do not run for office. Of the 2%, a fraction of that is, is, what you know mm -hmm. people who actually get elected and so it was so important to receive this training from people who understand the culture who are it also work in those spaces who have also worked as being you know minorities in those spaces or you know underrepresented in those spaces and I just left there so full so I knew I left knowing that I was going to run but it was that training it was that training and it was literally her saying everything you need to be successful is is here it's in so you <laughs> so in, in that same vein of you talking about, you know, I don't want to say needing, but that making it a little bit easier for you to decide, okay, I'm going to do this because it was people who looked like you, who understood the individual strug struggle that we have, you know, when it comes to politics as a black community, the fact that those were faces that you could relate to. So whenever you look at the social madness that is going on when it comes to race relations. Now you're running for a political office right in the middle of a firestorm with politics, a firestorm with society. What's your take on it as a black woman who's married to a black husband, a black mom who has two black sons who will grow up to be two big grown black men, but wh where's your heart at? Like where's your head at in the middle of all of this and now you're running for office? You know, I could not have, none of us could have foreseen that this would be where we are on September 1st, right? January 1st, this was like, happy new year, like everything else, here we are. I think it is not an accident that every system has been toppled on its head, economics, social, political, every system is under review and on notice as far as I'm concerned. And so my take is, um, when I decided to run, my heart has always been that I want this to be more approachable for the general. Like, I want people to see that this is for them. 
Mm -hmm. um, I want them to recognize that the power in the democracy is from the bottom up. It's not from the top down. It's not a corporation. Like that is the power is from the bottom up. And I don't think that enough people know that. And I think that some people in power want to make sure they never know that. <laughs> and so feel like my campaign, my campaign is all about the heart of this work. It's about the heart of politics. It's about compassion and leadership. It's about courage to talk about the entire story that is America and the impact of our history on people in our everyday systems today, like the impact. And it's the integrity of the profession, which is to say that our motivations are service and not profit, personal gain, power, you know, all these other things. It's the integrity that says, you know, we have the resources we need to make a difference. When we can't make a difference in certain area, it's not because of resources, it's because of will. It's because of political will. And so my, you know, my campaign is really to elevate the idea that politics can be done differently when you align on principle and elect different people. <laughs> like if you elect people who are willing to align on principle, I don't have to fight with you about Medicaid for all or a public option. If the principle is we wanna find a way for everyone to have access to healthcare, whether that be free or affordable or low cost or no cost, whatever. If we can align on principle, that is what we need to run on and win on so that when we win, enough of us win so that we can do something in this space for everybody to have healthcare. But if we get hung up on these details in the policy and we don't win on an align on principle, we'll never get the ball. It's football. Yeah. We got to get the ball. We got to get the ball. You can only do so much from the sideline. You can only do so much on defense. And so I feel like my posture in this space is to speak to the purple. You know, I am a pro-choice, progressive Christian. <laughs> and so Jesus is not a Republican or a Democrat. And I'm not going to pretend that I'm not a person of faith because I vote blue. You know, I'm not going to obsess with the womb, which is fine when I know that their life is long, right? We're on the planet for 90 years. And so if other people then their faith motivates them to be compelled to talk about those things and those policy issues and, and what we can do, that's fine. But that does not for me erase my charge to care about these other 90 years that people are on the planet, you know? And so I speak to the purple there, you know, I do believe that people should be able to make choices for their body. They should be able to make choices for their relationships. Um, but at the same time, it doesn't mean anything goes, you know, yeah. <laughs> it mean anything goes. And so I find myself in a position where I think it's just really important to be me. It's hard because people always want to label us, me, mm -hmm. anybody who's running for office or put you in a box, you will know what this feels like. People trying to put you in a box, but I'm a whole person. Yeah. And so I feel certain ways about certain things. You know, there's some things I'm willing to say, okay, let's compromise. There's other things where I'm firm, like I'm not doing that. And I think that authenticity is what I'm trying to bring to this space and still make it through the process to win. <laughs> <laughs> well, and honestly, I think that's probably one of the things that made me more excited about you running because Maddie, aka Madeline, you were always true to who you were. You always said, this is what I think, this is what I believe, and this is where this is where I'm standing. 
I don't know. I always just felt like I would stand behind Maddie wholeheartedly because you, you never felt like that person who would be in church one minute and talking about, you know, love mankind and, you know, you know, embrace everyone. And then as soon as you get outside and you walk across a, a you know, uh, a homosexual couple, you're scowling at them. Like that was, that just wasn't you. And I'm like, why can't, why can't everybody be like this? Why can't everybody just recognize that this is my faith. And if I'm going to, if I'm going to be Jesus, I need to love people. I need to love people. I need to be concerned about their well-being. I need to make sure that they are okay. Like at the end of the day, for me, it always felt like that's how you functioned as just a person who liked people and wanted what was best for people as, as a whole, not just, well, this is what works for my family. So this is what's good. This is what works for me and my circle of friends. So this is what's good. So I, I like the fact that, that, you know, you actually speak about that, you know, openly from the space that you are in, because like you said, you want people to see that this isn't just something that your birthright politicians do or have access to, but this is me, an everyday person, a whole person who has feelings, who has thoughts, who has beliefs, who wants to actually look out for everybody else. So, you know, I, I can appreciate that. Um, you were talking about, you know, making sure that people understand that it's accessible and this is something that that can be normal. The everyday person deciding that I'm going to run and actually following through and going through the entire process. I'm curious to know, like, what do you think people can do to influence politics and policy um, from where they are? Those who haven't necessarily taken that full leap, but, you know, they they want to be engaged. They want to be involved. They want to, you know, they want to rub their toe along, <laughs> along the edge of the pool. Maybe not necessarily put their foot totally in it, but just kind of grace the edges of it to, to, you know, to feel out that curiosity. You know, volunteering, donating, getting involved in the party. And then I would say the next thing would be to run for office um, or become a staff member on a campaign. Running for office is the, 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 the actual criteria is so low. You know, you have to be a resident, a certain age and a citizen. That's it. In, in most cases, you know, um, a resident of the, the place you want to represent, a certain age and usually a citizen. a citizen. Most decent paying jobs require more than what it seems like uh, running for office. <laughs> no, I'm serious. Like these jobs will say, well, we need you to have, you know, a four year degree. We need you to have, you know, eight years of experience. We need you to have be proficient in Microsoft suite. <laughs> like they need yeah. all of these things. But what I've noticed about politics from, you know, and just me, you know, researching here in my area, it's not this long laundry list of things that are needed. And I think a lot of people have no idea that the requirements, and this isn't an affront to anybody that's running, but the requirements are very low when it comes to running for office. And even the cost. So to run, to actually file, to run for my district, it costs $400. So now, I, we'll talk about fundraising in a minute, but I mean, it costs $400, right? So, you know, on the federal level, it costs $6,000. But again, that's the run for our federal office. That's still not a huge amount of money um, compared to how much they raise and spend in those elections. So I say the, the first thing you can do, and now is a perfect time to volunteer for our campaign. Every hand, like I'm folding and highlighting ballot applications with the highlighter by hand which I have volunteers doing, and I'm doing it too. We're writing postcards by hand, which I have volunteers doing, and I'm doing too. I'm folding paper 
hours with every single person <laughs> from president to school board with all the early voting dates, folding them by hand, which I'm, and volunteers are doing it too. And then we're going to put the information on doors. We're calling people. We're texting people. We're doing all this outreach because that's the hands and feet of the work. That's the part. That's the kitchen, right? So yeah. it's the difference between going to the restaurant and being in the kitchen. It's like you can go and somebody can serve you the candidate. They can serve you all these great ideas. You can eat the meal. You can vote. But it's a completely different experience to be in the kitchen, prepping that food, chilling the food, seasoning the food, you know, <laughs> cooking it. I can't do none of that, by the way. <laughs> I, I wasn't going to call you out on that. But, you know. I do know that. But <laughs> I think you just have to take the, and it's okay, and it is okay to just leap into it too. We have a bunch of first-time candidates that year, this year who are probably going to win their race and some that already have. And they didn't run for office before. But I think, again, if you keep in mind the, the inner democracy, the power is from the bottom up. The only reason why people feel like it's unattainable is because only 2% of the population does it. If more people did it, then you would have, it would have feel so unfamiliar or just so unattainable. And so I would say the best place to start right now, particularly, is to volunteer for a campaign and to donate to campaigns. And then after November, start getting involved in the party, um, the local, whatever, local party, and then um, consider running yourself. So I have another friend of mine uh, who is very involved in a different portion of the politics, but it impacts voting and our abilities to vote. It, it basically impacts the, the political system. When it comes to the U.S. census, what's your stance on, like, how do you impress upon people and make them understand why am I doing this? Like, this isn't just a piece of paper that showed up in your mail. It's it's just a count that happens once every 10 years, but it's, we do, the government directs federal spending based on the count. So if you're not counted dollars that you were getting this year, we might not get next year as a state. Mm -hmm. And it will go somewhere else with the, you know, they adjust for the count totals. And that, those adjustments last for 10 more years. So you want to be counted because they don't change it again for the most part for 10 years as far as where they direct Spending. Um, the other thing is with the electoral college, it can impact the number of electors we have for each state. So when we all watch this map in November change from red to blue and we're counting electoral seats, it's based on population. And if you're if you're not counted, you, your state can lose electors and gain electors. So if the population in Georgia grows as people count, we might gain two electors and another state might lose however many electors. And so you want to make that's also in place for another 10 years. Well, it's based on the census. Let me just say that. I don't know if there, there may be ways to change it before 10 years, but I know it's based on the census. The 435 representatives, the electoral votes, when we get to the 535 number, um, is the total number of electoral votes. It matches the number of representatives and the number of senators combined. And when we, like I said, it just determines that number. If Georgia has 11, does Georgia have 13? Does Georgia have 15? And the states have changed. I actually had a map the other day to see like how they've gone up and down, but that's why it's important. So at the end of the day, to get to the 270 votes needed to, to win the electoral college, you know, if your state has 13 this year, you don't want to have 11 four years from now because you didn't get counted. <laughs> 
Yeah, and take the sentence. You're talking about you know this lasting for ten years, and you but you also have people who sit on the sidelines and they ask you know why aren't we doing this with the schools and why don't we have money to develop certain lands or whatever like they they're fussing about money and elected officials aren't necessarily doing certain things. But if you are not filling out your census and you are not being counted, that money is not going to be there. So you can't make these politicians do stuff with money they don't have. We should talk. This is one of my biggest, and this is just the teacher in me, not the politician in me. The teacher recognizes, look look at the, just as a whole, campaigns cost a lot of money. I have raised to date $43,000 my opponent in, in June, he had already spent $101,000 in June. So when I won my primary, he had already outspent me five to one. This is a, a lot of money. It's labor intensive and only 2% of the population does it. So if you don't participate in the process, what reason does a politician have? This is the teacher talking to care about what you care about. Seriously. It costs money to campaign. It takes a tremendous amount of time and tremendous amount of effort to get the political will to get a whole group of people to vote the same way. When we're at home, you can't sometimes decide what restaurant to go to for dinner. So how do you get like, you know, hundreds of people to decide on a policy without making all kinds of concessions, making all kinds of whatever agreements and compromises? If you don't participate in the process, the teacher talking, I got to keep saying that for my own disclaimer, like what would be the, what would motivate a politician to pay attention or care about what you care about, especially if you can't vote for them. I just would encourage people to recognize that your money will be spent whether you vote or not, and the decision will be made for you, whether you vote or not. It should be important to you to have a say in the, who the people are who are making decisions about your money and about the law at a very minimum level. You wanna have a say in who those people are because if you don't have anyone with a, at the table caring about what you care about. You, you have the opportunity to, to potentially have somebody show up on your behalf. And if you forego that right, just know that there will be conversations being had, there will be decisions that are being made that you, forfeited your right to be a part of you yeah, forfeited it, it because you didn't you didn't even attempt to be engaged in a process on like you said on the on the basic level of going and voting not even all the other stuff of doing all the volunteerism and you know um aligning yourself on a day-to-day -day basis doing the work of yeah. politicking but actually just sim a simple thing of getting up showing up to a polling place pushing whatever number, checking whatever box and going home on. And, and that's just for a moment. That's for, you know, what, a, a couple of hours a day, depending on how busy the poll is or whatever. Mm -hmm. But you forego your right to even have the possibility of somebody speaking on your behalf. That's right. Exactly. And I think I understand the distance. Like, I understand why people get disengaged because they're like, my person didn't win or my issue didn't get passed or whatever the my resolution, whatever the case may be. But it's about political will and aligning on principle. So part of the reason why it's so difficult to fix education is because the people who you elect have to be, even if you elect the change agent, they have to be in office long enough to make the change. And an elections happen every year. Yes. So sometimes you can't even keep the same team of people 
who are aligned in office together long enough to make the changes. And so it's such a big process, but it's also a big opportunity if more people could see themselves as a part of it. Also speaks to if you stay engaged beyond just election day, right? If you stay engaged with these politicians and and I'll speak, you know, as a mom on, you know, a lower level, I guess, you can't fuss about what's happening at the school board or at the schools whenever you're not even showing up. Like I've gone to school board meetings. And when I tell you, like, where are all these parents on Facebook fussing about any and everything up under the sun? I don't see you here. I see plenty of open, there's plenty of space. And there've been sometimes there's been standing room only and they've actually had to like turn people out because of the uh, fire marshal. But that's usually when it's some sort of scandal. We shouldn't have to wait until there's a scandal. We should have y'all there and keeping these, you know, elected officials accountable. Because if they're saying that this is what they're gonna do, then show up to make sure that you're holding them accountable. And also, even if it's not your elected official, continue to keep your issues in front of them. Continue to keep your concerns voiced over the course of the year. So either they get on board to help fix it or you're going to get replaced. And the person who's coming in is going to go ahead and have to, I guess, continue the mantle of what you were doing before that was working and also modifying some things that incorporate the things that we feel like were not being addressed. So I, I think that's one thing that society kind of fails on is they become active once a year when it comes to politics, the bulk of society anyway. Yeah, and true. everybody wants to start scrambling and fussing. And that is one of my biggest gripes because though I have an issue with the two-party system, like when, when, when Bernie backed out, everybody starts going crazy about stuff. And they're like, we're tired of the same old people. Why is it just a, you know the bipartisan system? This isn't working. Where have you been year after year? This ain't nothing new. We like we realized this four years ago. Like this, you you weren't happy. So I ask you this: Where have you been for the last four years while we've been trying to set things up again? Don't come here now throwing things off. And the only way I know how to say it is: is you have some people who have louder voices and a little bit more influence, even just on a social level, right? So whenever they start saying things, you have people grasping, holding on to what they say because. Everybody isn't as versed in politics as what we would like them to be. So the minute somebody starts to complain about something who they have respect for, they start to say, well, maybe I should listen to Tasha and she's not happy. So I'm going to go ahead and write in my, you know, my landscaper's name because they need to know that this is not right. And I'm like, oh, my God, you literally just threw everything. (laughs) I think this is the thing. I okay. so the beauty of what I value, because my. My I, my I set my career in roles where my job is to set people up as, for success, and I value the work that it takes to set other people up for success. And I think the bit the beauty of political parties, both the major parties, Republican and Democrat, is that they're organizations, and organizations are organized. So it's not enough to have a whole bunch of voices and people who are concerned and who care and who are upset or who are hyper or whatever, because at the end of the day, the process to change the law requires a high level of focus and organization. And so we organize money, we organize uh, 
time, we organize information, we organize resources. And that is what the party brings to the conversation, which is why I find the people who are most critical of either party are usually the people who are least involved in the work. <laughs> like the least involved can be the most critical. That actually probably applies to a lot of situations. <laughs> yeah, mostly. <laughs> you know, and so, but when you are, when you have donated, when you have stayed up till two o'clock in the morning folding both blue papers, when you have knocked on doors and worn holes in your shoes, <laughs> when you have sat in a doggone meeting until the restaurant closes trying to get one piece of work done, you know, when you have had to argue with people that you care about, about why their position on a certain issue is going to keep us from winning, when we need to see the big picture, when you've been that invested in the work of getting people to the table who care about what you care about so you can make any possible change on a policy front, then you're invested. And you're not going to let people from the outside who are loud try to, or just loud and, and passionate, try to tell you or, or stand there with a match. That power doesn't go down without a fight. And so I think the, the need for voices like mine, voices like yours, people who are passionate, but level-headed enough to respect the process of change. I think that's what's needed. And I think when you don't see what you want to see in politics, you should run. If you care that much, you should run because anybody can run. That's another thing. I find people that are the most critical won't actually get in the arena themselves. Why don't you take all that passion and put your name on the ballot? Put Let your whole life get put on display. You know, sacrifice, potentially sacrifice your job and your income to run for office. Have people you don't even know criticizing you. Have people you love not support you. Like you go, go stick, go, you do it. The whole experience has been eye-opening for me in a lot of good ways and a lot of just things I didn't understand. And now I understand better. But I would say this, I, I am a party person who gets frustrated with the party, but I recognize the power of being organized. Mm -hmm. And a movement, a marching on the street, that's so necessary. It's so important for visibility. It's so important for raising awareness. It's so important for driving the conversation. Changing the law is a process. And so after you march, what are you gonna do the next day? <laughs> you know, when the sun comes up, now what? I'm, I'll be out there marching. I've been out there marching. This, I, I marched this summer too. But when the sun comes up, we still have a, a, we still have laws in place that say you cannot hold these people responsible personally for violating someone's civil rights as a government official. How are we going to change that law? You better make sure somebody at the table cares enough to try. Cares enough to put in the work for it. You know, yes. and that's I, not going to happen if you're criticizing them at every turn, if you're not donating to, to the campaign, if you're threatening not to vote. Listen, and for those that are listening, I want y'all to know right now, anytime I have come back at y'all on social media and I say all this hollering and screaming that you're doing, how about you go ahead and run for office? If you want to know resources, slide up in my inbox. Y'all have Maddie to blame for that. Because I've watched it, <laughs> because I've watched this process with Maddie, and I know 
not only is Maddie well-versed in how to get it, like how to get yourself out there to run for an office, but I also know like I've actually, you know, had the luxury of being able to be part of one of your, um, your video conferences when it came to fundraising and everything. So I have resources. So now that's that's how I check people. Whenever they want to do all the rah, 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 but you really not active, you know what? Step up to the plate. And if you if you need help getting a bat and getting a ball so you can come to the game, I got some people for you. Let's go ahead and get you on the phone with Maddie and her people so you can go ahead and run for office and stop complaining and crying on social media and confusing the hell out of everybody else because don't nobody know what's going on and they listening to you and now they just as, they running around just as wild and crazy and now it's spreading like wildfire that everything is disorganized now, right? Yeah, so, it's, it's good though. I think the good thing about all of this, I, we are... I really firmly believe we have been chosen to be alive at this moment in history for a reason. All of us who are here experiencing this, we've been chosen to be alive at this moment in history for a reason. I think the beauty of the Trump administration is that people's eyes are open, not only open to what's possible when you don't really uh, play to win, (laughs) but also open to what's possible knowing that anybody who before January, <laughs> anybody who thought they might want to run for office, you should know you are qualified. Okay. We all are qualified. qualified. All okay. we got to do is meet the age requirements and the citizenship. We qualified. Yes. <laughs> we qualified. That's, I mean, my goodness. If you, you didn't know it. before 2016, you should be confident that you are so, qualified. So we only have uh, like, but like four more minutes, but I definitely, so I want to know from a personal side, because you said it does take a lot, but you are a wife. You are a mother of two young boys. Um, just recently you were still working full time, but um, what do you think has been the toughest part of you as a, as a woman, as a mom running and I honestly, the hardest part has been just being disappointed that people who I thought would be here, like supporting me, have been silent. And it's hard. It's hard to see, like, you know, you can see who opens your email. It's hard to see people open my email for the last year and a half, but they haven't given. (laughs) Like, I don't know what to make of that because if I don't know what to make of it because it's such an important thing in my life. And I just, I've just surprised some people, their lack of, investment has surprised me but then on the other side there's people like you there's people like I have a group of volunteers in Nebraska who write (laughs) postcards for me like they send postcards to people in Georgia that says it's got the Nebraska thing on it on the front and they just be like you need to vote for her and and I mean so I'm like there's that you know there's people there's a lady who volunteered she held my sign in front of a polling place from like eight in the morning until seven o'clock at night. I didn't even ask her to do that. I didn't just met her one time and she did that. So I'm like, it's been so bittersweet because the sweet part is the opportunities that people have come along to really just water my soul and to encourage me and to support me and to invest. But the bitter part is it's just very lonely and isolating because only 2%, like most people, no, almost nobody does this. So there's not big support systems. <laughs> like, it's two. It's two percent right now, and hopefully, you know, um, you doing this, you being your average Jane, but who is an exceptional friend. So far from an average Jane for me, people will see can I say that. One more thing? 
Go ahead. And then the kids are over it. I do want you to know. Where's <laughs> yeah, like, my mom? I went to primary. They were like, yes. Woo. I was like, no, but I got to get to November. They was like, oh, oh. They were so upset. <laughs> they thought it was over. <laughs> they looking at the calendar marking days off like, oh. My mom, the mom, I got to make it up to them in January, Christmas. And the, the house looking, I was like, oh, so yeah. But it's been a sacrifice. I left my job. People make these sacrifices every day for what they care about. So it's all good. I will, I'll add on to that. Um, I think this speaks, what you were talking about speaks even beyond politics. I think it, because you know me, I like to give out these messages. We all have our own things that we are extremely passionate about. You know, we have the things that are from within our own hearts that we are super tied to. And then whenever we put that out there for the world, you know, me, it's with my podcast for you. It's you running for office for the next person. It may be them deciding that they want to go to school full time, whatever the case may be. We have these dreams. And then whenever we expose them to other people, we have these people in our mind. I know so-and-so is going to walk alongside me with this and it's going to be great. And when it don't show up, it hurts. It hurts. But that is not where you stop because you allow other people to step up where you can find out there's other people that are so supportive of you that have been quietly supportive of you who will get louder, who will step up in a way that you would have never expected them to step up. So whatever your dreams are, whatever your aspirations are, whatever your passion is, don't get hung up on the fact that the people that you expected to be there aren't there because the people that you need to be there will be there. Trust and believe that. So uh, Madeline, thank you so much, my friend Maddie, for taking this time to have this conversation to allow people to understand that politics is not just one day. Politics is not just whenever you show up at the polls, but politics is also something that is accessible to all of us because all the resources that we need are there. So thank you very much. And of course, Good. I'm not gonna tell you good luck in November because you don't need luck. Listen, it is yours. It is yours, and and I would say if y'all want to support my campaign, you can go to www.madelinejones.com. The next deadline is September 30th, and I would greatly appreciate your financial support to help fund the vision. Thank you. Yes, and if you are looking for any other ways to be able to help support Maddie, you can reach out to me as well, and I will make sure to get you in contact with her so you can help her out. So thank you all for listening. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of Talks with Tasha podcast. If you'd like to go ahead and leave me a rating or review on whatever platform it is that you happen to be listening to me, it would be greatly appreciated. If you want to know what's going on with me in the world of Talks with Tasha podcast, you can head on over to www.talkswithtashapodcast.com. If you want to stay connected to me through social media, I can be found on Facebook, Talks with Tasha podcast, or you can find me on Instagram, Talks with Tasha podcast, or on Twitter, Tasha Talks. If you'd like to just go ahead and get things all over with and send me an email, you can do that as well. I can be reached at Tasha G at TalksWithTashaPodcast.com.